Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. In today's episode, I speak with Michelle Emerson, Marketing and Development Director of Eureka, the National Children's Museum. We discuss their really exciting plans for Eureka Mersey and how they're co-creating a brand new science and discovery centre that's going to be based in Wirral. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Michelle, it's so lovely to finally get you on the podcast. I mean, I think I've been trying for about a year. (laughs) So thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, As ever, I'm going to start off with my icebreaker questions. What would your dream house be like and where would it be located? Oh, I know this because I've already got the field in mind. It's about 200 metres down the road from where I currently live. (laughs) Um, and lockdown has enabled me to play on a lovely free app called Floor Planner. So I've actually designed it. I know exactly where it's going to be located in the field just down the road. I just need to persuade the farmer to uh, sell me. Oh, the field. I love this. And then I need to raise the money to build the house. But it's it's a very, um, very rural, very uh, low key, single story, sedum roof off-grid sustainable house in the countryside with a separate garage and art studio for my husband and a gym room and um, games room for my son and then I get the rest of the house oh that sounds absolutely idyllic I mean and and raising the funds and getting the field that's just minor technicalities right you already know what it's going to look like that's the most important thing (laughs) every time I take the dog on a walk through that field it's already there in my mind I can see it it's already there I just need to we just need to put it into action how perfect and uh, are you are you going to be so I mean we love grand designs here we do watch that quite frequently are you going to be comfortable living in a caravan while this all happens absolutely we have a camper van called Woody um that we've had for a number of years and all three of us my son is is 11 now so he's getting a little bit big but all three of us plus a Labrador dog can quite happily coexist in that space for probably up to about nine months nine or ten months Michelle I feel like you're living my dream I feel like we're we're quite aligned there I'd be all right in a caravan you know what's the worst that can happen I've got two dogs so to be honest there's a lot there's a lot of bad stuff that could go down in a caravan with those two so who knows right would you rather be covered in fur or covered in scales oh my word (laughs) I think I'm going to say scales. Ooh. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Well, I, I don't really know why. I think because that means I could be a swimmer. So I would be an animal that could swim, but also be on land. Don't like being too hot. Yeah. Really, you'd be really hot with a big old fur on you, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think I'm a scaly person. Okay. That's all right. Yeah, it does, doesn't it, when you think about it. But then the benefits of the scales, like the swimming would be good. I'm a swimmer, I, yeah. But I was thinking furry because I'm I'm a little bit furry already. So I was like, well, it wouldn't be that much difference. <laughs> okay, next one. If you can have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, friends. Oh, an unlimited nice. supply of good friends. That is lovely. Oh, that's made me go a bit warm and fuzzy because I was thinking sushi. Yeah. 
<laughs> Friends is a good one. Okay. All right. Now, um, this is the bit that we do with all of our guests. So um, I hope you have prepared this one. What's your unpopular opinion, Michelle? <laughs> well, you know this one, Kelly. I do. <laughs> and I have seen photographic evidence as well. Crocs <laughs> and socks. Crocs and socks. And, you know, I've worked at home for 12 months now. And my feet have not been in anything other than Crocs, walking boots and welly boots or bare feet. So, you know, the idea of putting office shoes back on is terrifying. I just don't think it's going to happen. And if my boss was to allow me to wear socks and Crocs to work, I would be very happy. See, this was my question. Is this, is is socks and Crocs in public or just in your house? Because I think if it's in your house or your back garden, that's okay. It's already in my back garden and, and it should be in public. It should be an acceptable thing. And I know that's a very unpopular opinion because I've been told by many people <laughs> that should not be allowed to happen. But, uh, you know, if we've learned anything from lockdown, can it be that we can just be a little bit more comfortable? Okay, I'll accept comfort, but um, I can't accept the socks and crocs in public. I just can't, Michelle. And, and, and <laughs> listeners, tell me how you feel about this because... Um, because I've seen this, uh, Michelle sent me a picture of her wearing these socks and crocs, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, they need to stay in your house, Michelle. <laughs> well, even though the socks had cat pictures on them. The socks were glorious. It was just the combo of them and the crocs. That's all I'm saying. All right, thank you for answering those questions. So just as a caveat, Michelle and I know each other. We've worked together for a number of years. But um, for our listeners, I'd love to know a little bit about your background, Michelle. So how did you get to where you are now? So this is quite a long and convoluted journey to Eureka. It was never, I I never anticipated being in a visitor attraction sector or tourism or anything like that. I did my degree in political geography and I had a desire at that stage in my life to be working in one of the large sort of international humanitarian organisations. So that was, you know, I wanted to be, in Africa, in, in Asia, somewhere on the ground, digging wells, doing, doing humanitarian work, working with people somewhere where it was needed. And straight after graduating from university in 1991, I went and lived in Ukraine for 12 months. And at that time, Ukraine was newly independent from the Soviet Union. It didn't have a currency. It was rations. And it was a fantastic experience. And in in hindsight, one which I wish I'd done when I was slightly older um, and more able to appreciate, probably. But I lived with a local family, uh, slept on a sofa for 12 months, and I taught English in the local school, secondary school, with no teaching experience whatsoever. But it was a, a, a brilliant experience. And in fact, two years ago, my family and I went back to stay with the same family again oh. 25 years later. Oh, how lovely. Yeah, uh, we did a lot of the same things. We went to look around the school. Absolutely brilliant timing in that grandma and granddad who lived in the house, it was a sort of a three-generational house, um, were both still alive when we went back and have both since passed away. So we did get to see both of them as well, so 25 years years on. Um, so I did that. And then I came back to, to Sheffield, um, where I did my high schooling, worked for the University of Sheffield in an environmental consultancy role. And then only a few years later, decided that I would be moving to Australia. So then I lived in Australia for eight years, 
and I worked for a small charity that um, was looking after deaf children. It was called the Shepherd Centre and it was a, a charity that enabled children who were born profoundly deaf to develop language rather than using um, sign language. It's quite experimental, quite new at the time. It's very commonplace now. Um, but I worked for them in a sort of a business development capacity. One of the sponsors that we got on board at that organisation was Microsoft. And eventually I moved over and I, I went to work for Microsoft in Australia, reporting into head, a, a sort of a, a regional head office in Singapore, managing what was called Microsoft Authorised Refurbisher Programme at the time, which was about don't, getting, getting old computers and PCs and, and hardware back from the big corporations um, refurbishing them, relicensing them, and sending that to schools and charities and so on. So I did that for a number of years. And then, long story short, decided that I wasn't going to end up living in Australia forever. So I'd been there for about eight years at this point. Packed up my stuff, put my backpack on, went and travelled around Southeast Asia for a year, during which time I decided I would make the decision as to whether I was going back to Australia or coming back to the UK. And made that decision and arrived back in the UK, back to Sheffield, and then started working for the National Association for Voluntary and Community Action, a membership organisation called NAVCA. Uh, did that for five years, uh, and again, a business development sort of sort of role, and then the opportunity came up at, at Eureka, um, the marketing director role there, and I went for it, and the rest, as they say, is history. I've been there 10 years now. 10 years so Eureka for me is it's such a magic place there is this real I know I, like I whenever I talk about Eureka I have a really huge smile on my face because there is just something it's just something magic about it when you get there the air just feels like it's filled with excitement you know there it is just it's such a special place what I always find is when I when I, I say oh, we work with Eureka the National Children's Museum it's amazing and then people kind of, it's hard to describe what Eureka is because you've got museum in the title. There's that assumption that it's, oh, well, is it like the Children's Museum, you know, Bethel Green Children's Museum? Yeah. And, and it's like, well, no, actually, it's all about play. You know, you can touch everything and it's incredible. Like they've got this massive nose and you can shove your head up it and there's bogeys up there. <laughs> and it's great. But it's it's a hard concept to describe, isn't it? So how how do you how do you do that? So like share share with our listeners how you kind of describe what Eureka is. So the the concept of a children's museum is a North American concept, and if you go to North America, you will find a children's museum in pretty much every town and, and city there. They are a very established part of community life, and that's where the term museum comes from. That's what the term that they use. Our model is based on that, and therefore that historically is the term that we have used as well um, but a children's museum is not a collections-based museum there is nothing historical in the museum as, as people might traditionally expect it is a visitor attraction for children aged 0 to 11 and their parents we are all about family learning family engagement having fun together as a family with your siblings or your parents or grandparents and developing a, a sort of a, a lifelong love of, of learning and visiting cultural attractions and, and sort of developing that pathway to, to further opportunities in more traditional cultural attractions, perhaps as they get older, or, or developing a confidence in being in spaces and, and learning 
about things that, that they enjoy. And, and that is done through the medium of play. At Eureka, there are galleries, but each gallery is very much based around something that's very familiar to children. So our biggest gallery is called All About Me. And as most parents out there will know, children aged and any age up to 11 are, are absolutely fascinated by themselves. You know, it's, it's the thing that is most familiar to them. They want to understand um, and and they're fascinated by you know sick and poo and bogies and all of those things. <laughs> as as am I still clearly. <laughs> as are a lot of adults. I can tell you, we get a lot of having a lot of fun at Eureka. And, and so putting them in a space where they can play with exhibits and with interactives that explain some of these things in a very playful, engaging way just gives them a little bit of a an insight into into themselves how they interact with the world around them, how the world impacts on them and their decision-making and so on. So it's all very playful. It's all fun. You won't find any sort of curriculum-based learning. It's all sort of learning by self. Um, and, and a lot of people will come to Eureka two or three times a year as the kids get older and find something new each time as their understanding of the world sort of changes with with their age and and what they're engaging with at school so you know there's something for everyone pretty much from from babies through to um 11 years old through to 43 year old adults (laughs) I'm not gonna lie (laughs) I mean it was a while ago that I first visited it's probably about four or five years ago but I can remember uh, Paul and I coming up and um kind of being a little bit let loose you know have a look around and see what you feel about it (laughs) And I, I just thought, this is great because, you know, we were trying out all of the things, you know, we were doing the, what was, what, you know, what was the longest jump? And, and I can remember putting my shoes into, you know, the world's biggest shoes and just doing all of those things. It just, it's such a, it's just like I say, it's just such an engaging and a magic yeah. place. And um, yeah. it just feels like a really special place to be. So I can imagine working there every day is a really great feeling with the people that you're surrounded with as well yeah yeah it's it's a very fun place to work you know even behind the scenes you know you don't you don't create experiences like that for other people without without having fun with it yourself no not at all and I know you are a very fun bunch um I want to ask so there's loads there's loads of stuff that I want to talk about for future so you've got some really exciting plans coming up and I want to focus on that but we can't really talk about that without kind of just taking a bit of a snapshot of where we're at at the moment so how has it been for you it's been a really challenging time you've been closed down you've been open again you've been shut again it's it's really tough how has it been for you through those lockdown periods it's been challenging I mean yeah I think there wouldn't be a, a single organisation in the sector that wouldn't say that, you know, you can't use the word unprecedented because it's overused now. But th- this has been something that is is off the scale and nobody could have predicted or, or planned for. Perhaps more so than, than, you know, putting something away for a rainy day kind of thing. And, and in fact, Eureka has been in a, an unusual position through this in that we are... We are known as a museum. We have museum in the title, like we've just discussed, but we are not, for funding purposes, able to apply for any of the support for museums because we are not a collections-based um, organisation. We're not a heritage-based organisation, although we do have heritage assets to look after on our site. That's just a, a sort of a, an accident of geography, really. But we we have found ourselves 
ineligible to apply for a lot of support. But saying that, the the furlough and and the business support has been absolutely crucial to um, supporting us over the last 12 months. Um, And it has made a massive difference to how we see the future. We are now looking at not being able to open until the end of May, which misses some key dates in the diary for us, you know, as it does for everybody else. But we're confident that when we do reopen, we'll have a successful summer and that we'll be able to re-engage and depend on our sort of loyal visitors, really, and and the people in the north of England that that know and love us um, to come back. I mean, it was incredible the, you know, as soon as the announcements were made about potential reopening dates a week or so ago, the number of people contacting us asking us, when can we come? When are you opening bookings? When when will tickets be available? It was just phenomenal. And it's it's so reassuring. You know, it's lovely to have a whole bunch of people out there, families out there that are desperate. You know, their kids are asking, when can we go back to Eureka? And that that is a lovely position to be in. And, and we're very grateful for that. Um, and we will do our very best to get open as soon as possible and to provide those those lovely experiences. People, families are going to need it more than ever. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? sure. I mean, uh, people, people are desperate for experiences. You know, we've been yeah. shut away in these four walls for such a long time. I do think that there's going to be a huge resurgence in in experiences and people wanting to visit attractions. But mm. I think, you know, you, you noticed that last summer. You, you, you said about your loyal, your loyal visitors. I mean, mm. you, you have an annual pass scheme at Eureka, which is incredibly good value. And I mean, I think when you opened again last summer, I mean, you were you were practically sold out every single day, weren't you? The time slots were booked and, and you know, the, the the people that were wanting to come back, it was it was pretty overwhelming, wasn't it? But but, fa- but fabulous. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it, it was an unknown. Uh, Eureka have never operated a pre-booking system. It is an annual pass um, model, so people have their... They're free tickets that they can come back as many times as they want within the year. They don't need to pre-book that. There's no exclusions. They can come back holidays, half-term holidays, whenever. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been operating Eureka for 28 years. We know our visitor patterns very well. We know um, what difference the weather makes and all those sort of, you know, things that we can predict at the beginning of the day, what the day is going to be like. We've never done a pre-booking or a pre-ticketing system and so that wasn't unknown and obviously the, the caps on the number of people able to visit every day are lower than than they would have been previously so to sell out felt great although we were still a long way below the numbers that would have come um, pre-covid on that particular day and with those particular conditions and so on but it's it's hugely reassuring um the difficulty being really that we have to ensure that financially repeat visitors on free tickets aren't out weighing the new visitors who are buying their annual pass for the first time and 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 cultivating that new audience that we need to come through the doors every year to ensure that that financially it's it's you know ticket sales and admissions are still um our key source of income yeah. so so yes, it's a balancing act, but we, but you know, we we were we were absolutely thrilled and and so um, reassured that all the work that we put in before opening last summer to making sure things were safe for visitors and to making sure the ticketing system worked and all the admin behind that worked and that people were going to have a stress free experience 
rather than imagining, you know, what's it's all very restricted and not everything's open and, you know, it's all one-way systems and all the rest of it. We you know we, we got the balance right, we feel, and, and visitors uh, reported back that we got the balance right on that. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how we need to, to tweak that and, and change that going forward. Um, and, and it's too early to make plans, really, it feels at the moment, because we just don't know what it's going to look like even at the end of May, even no, though it's nice to have a date to work to. But, um, yeah, that must feel really good that there is there is like kinda, something to be work, work, working towards. You know, it's been so long that you've just been in the kind of like, well, we just don't know. We can't plan for anything. It might be a couple of yeah. weeks. It might be another three months. But, yeah, it must be really good to have that. Getting your, your front of house staff team back on board after such a long time away, you know, get retraining, re-engaging, re-motivating and all that sort of stuff. You don't want to do that in two weeks prior to an opening date and then that date be shifted and then have to do it again six weeks later or, you know, that's, it's very, it's very difficult to sort of make sure that everything that you're doing is, is in the best sort of timeline possible when we, you don't know what the end result is, what the end date is going to be. So yeah, yeah we're very pleased to have a date. <laughs> Good. Well, lots of positives to work forward. And I think like what, what my observations from what you did brilliantly is that you as an organisation, you, you actually acted really, you reacted really quickly to what the situation was happening last year. So what was lovely to see is how much effort you were putting into actually engaging with your audience whilst the audience couldn't actually visit the attraction. So there were some really brilliant things that you did. I mean, it, I mean, you were you, you already had an online shop, so you could already kind of encourage people to buy gift certificates or make donations when they couldn't visit the center. So that was a real positive. But what I loved was the Eureka at home section that got kind of, I mean, we threw that up really quickly, but it was like, right, you know, out there's loads of parents and kids and they're stuck at home. We do all of these fun things. Let's make it a kind of recorded video series and they can still engage with those fun things. And I think there was videos where people could make their own lava lamp and their own slime and God knows what else, but they were just, it was brilliant. And I just thought, yeah, you know, it's so great that you've you've kind of done that so quickly and been able to kind of keep your, almost, almost, you know, keep your audience engaged with what the ethos of what Eureka is all about, if they, even if they couldn't come. Yeah, I think there were, there were a couple of really nice outcomes from that. Obviously the audience engaged and, and, and really got something out of those activities um, they're all still there, you know, so they're, they're sort of accessible to anybody who wants them at any time. But it gave our front of house team something to do in that initial few months where we were all very, very unsure of what was happening and what was going on. And how long was it going to last for? And we just basically sent a call out to to our enablers saying, you know, here's the challenge, guys. What can you do from your living room or your kitchen table? And and they came back with a, a wonderful variety of things, from storytelling to little chemistry experiments to drama activities and so on. And, and that was what we sort of curated into our Eureka at Home thing. And the, the other nice thing to come out of that was that we work with a number of freelancers, freelance entertainers and children's activity providers for our for our main holiday periods where we sort of layer on lots of additional events and a handful of those are very local to us here and obviously their work streams had dried up completely and we were able to employ them to create content for us 
which we shared on our on our platforms, obviously, which you know it enabled them to have a little bit of an income stream as well back at the beginning. And I know they were very very pleased to be involved with that as well. And and it it felt like the right partnership to to sort of forge ahead with at the time. And and we got some lovely results out of it as well. Some some fabulous crazy science i mean they stepped up didn't they the enablers and some amazing music um and and stories um from gacko and from ian douglas and and it was just just wonderful stuff that they you know created in their living rooms and and garages and and whatever and it was you know really lovely that they were able to do that for us and we were able to support them in giving them little bits of freelance work to do yeah. We'll pop the link to Eureka at home in the show notes because uh, like, you know, like Michelle said, the, the the content that is up there is really phenomenal. So kids are back at school, but look, th- there is so much good stuff in there. You will keep them amused for hours during the holidays, trust me. So we'll put that, pop that in the show notes. This brings me to something really exciting for Eureka. So Eureka at the moment is um, based in Halifax, beautiful town. And there's going to be a second Eureka, isn't there? And this is super, super exciting. So there's going to be Eureka Mersey. Um, It's going to be a cutting edge 21st century science and discovery centre. I'm really excited. Tell us about it. Tell us, where where should we start talking about it? Well, just make that noise again. That was great. So, yeah, so Eureka Mersey the second Eureka in the UK. Um, We are aiming and on schedule to be opening in summer 2022. So this is a project that has been in development for a long time. 2014 is when we sort of started discussing it in in earnest, really. Um, And there has been since then a programme of, as you would imagine, the feasibility work and all those sorts of research aspects that you need to do right back at the beginning and moving forward into fundraising capital campaigns and a very in-depth process of co-curation with with locals children and stakeholders so that's that's been ongoing for a number of years now and has resulted to the shape of the experience as it is now where we're at a point of of you know contracting fabricators and, and design uh, exhibition designers and developers to actually deliver what the children have come up with to be the content of of Eureka Mercy. So yes, yeah. this is what I love about the about the the development is that it, it the, this co-creation process mm-hmm. has been so incredibly engaging. I mean I've been watching it unfold on your Twitter account mm-hmm. and seeing all of the projects that you've been getting the children involved with. That I mean that that must have been so much fun to be able to say, what do you want? You know, what do you need and, and how do we make this happen? Yes. I mean it's it's not as as um you don't start with a blank piece of paper necessarily because one of the reasons why opening Eureka in in Merseyside in in uh, in Wirral is an exciting project for Eureka is that everything else sort of falls into line so the combined authority in Liverpool city region have been incredibly supportive right from the beginning and their regional development plans and their focus and their energy and their drive and their money is being put behind, you know, a 
a key set of themes, all of which we are able to demonstrate that we can deliver outcomes against with opening the new science and discovery center for young people. So we know the sort of the themes and the industry in the area and the pathways to work that will be created through engagement with children at that young age um, that will be beneficial for the region as a whole. And so working within those sorts of parameters, we're able to then go out to to schools and youth centres and young people in the area and say, this is going to be your space. This is going to be about you. It's going to be about your futures and what you want to achieve and what you want to see. And the industry that's around you and the opportunities that are around you, which for many of them were unknown. How, how do we engage you? How do we get you to, to, to take your first steps? Or, you know, maybe kids who are more engaged who, to take the further steps into developing their their knowledge and their experience and their passion for these things that, that can open up lots and lots of doors for them in the future. So the co-creation has been incredible in delivering some of those things. It's all done with a very eureka kind of expertise and hat on. Obviously, it's the, the experience will be delivered in a very eureka way. It's all fun and humour and surprise and excitement but it is more so topics that children in the age range of 6 to 14, so older than, than we engage with in Halifax, will be thinking about, will be exploring you know, climate change um, being, being one of the big ones that, that all kids of that age are really engaged with at the moment, and, and rightly so. And, and what do they see their, their place in, in the future in that sort of um, sphere being, and, and what can they do? And, what should they be doing and what can they encourage other people to do and so on. So there's those, those sorts of things that you're trying to unravel with children who maybe have very little engagement at school. They have families with uh, multi-generational unemployment. You know, what can we do with, with and for them to improve some of their life chances? And, you know, that's, that's another one of the reasons why Eureka is, is being located in the Wirral, you know, an area with, a number of multiple deprivations in the local communities, uh, which is one of our strategic aims is to, to reach those families. You know, we are um, very lucky in Halifax in that 20% of our audience come from very disadvantaged postcodes and, and yet they still want to engage with us. We might be the only visitor attraction or museum or cultural engagement that they have in their lives, you know, especially in their young lives. Um, and, and that is something that we really want to um, continue to, to provide with the new Eureka uh, in Wirral is to, is to make sure we're reaching the people that can really benefit. Yeah. And it will have, I, I mean, I, I'm assuming it will have the same kind of ethos as, as Eureka Halifax in that it will be learning through through play and through experiments and, and that kind of thing. So it will be very hands-on centre. It's all, it's all hands-on. I would say that, you know, the the older age range um, in Eureka Mersey, so the sort of the target audience is slightly older and therefore the play will be slightly different, but it is um, it is that same sort of ethos in that you won't, you won't walk into Eureka and be confronted with a panel of text that tells you something about A, B or C. It won't be like that. You will, you will get a chance to, to explore, discover, experiment, push buttons, pull things, do some digital um gameplay or coding or or you know there's a whole variety of things that are appropriate for that age range 
um, that will you know, be, be akin to, what, to how they want to learn and how they want to engage and how they want to spend a fun afternoon, you know, with their family or their friends or, or whoever. So, I guess the, the exact specifics are, um, they're under lock and key at the moment, are they, Michelle? You can't give us any not. snippets into what's going to be in <laughs> It's not not exactly under lock and key, but we will be doing um, some, some starting to reveal some of the content from April uh, this year onwards. And uh, we'll be building our um, new websites and uh, so on um, over the course of this year. Obviously, there is there is a website there at the moment that talks a lot about the uh, co-creation process and and a lot of our partners and funders and and so on and the involvement of local uh, companies and organizations in getting us to the point that we're at now which has been you know incredibly valuable in in supporting the work that we've done so all of that stuff sits on the on the website the Eureka Mersey website at the moment and we'll be doing a lot of work in starting to reveal some of the exciting content we'll put all of the links to that website in the show notes um because you are definitely going to want to go and have a little look and see how the site has developed so far and i am definitely going to be checking in after Mm -hmm. april to find out what's coming next because i can't wait to come and visit and michelle thank you i think this is such a positive for not only for eureka not only for all of you that, that work there, but for the industry itself to know that there are these wonderful new attractions coming and that they're going to do such amazing things for, for the local communities that they're involved with as well. So thank you for sharing all of that today. I really appreciate it. We always end the podcast by asking for a book from our a book recommendation from our guests. So I used to say, you know, something that's kind of helped, you know, develop your career in some way. But now I, I think it's just a book that you really love that you'd like to share with the visitors, so with our listeners even. So it doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be career focused, can be whatever you like. Okay. So I do read a lot. I am, I am an avid reader. And I guess I read more for pleasure than I do for work. But I would say that the book I go back to more often than than others is a book called Blueback um, which is written by an Australian author called Tim Winton it's a short book it's a good Sunday afternoon book if you've got nothing else to do it's less than 100 pages and it's it's probably a sort of described as a modern fable um, but it's about uh, a young boy and and it sounds a bit strange but his relationship with a fish And and what that sort of slightly sort of magical relationship results in him developing a passion for the sea and and his future passion for cons- conservation and, and looking after um, the ocean nearby where he lives in Australia. So uh, Tim Winton has written a lot of lovely, lovely books. And that one is probably my favourite. That feels like a really fitting book for what we've just talked about yeah. as well. That really like a perfect fit for, you know, engaging with something and and it becoming your passion in later life. I love that. So as ever, if you would like to win a copy of that book, if you head over to our Twitter account and you retweet this show announcement with the words, I want Michelle's book, then you will be in with a chance of winning it. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on and sharing today. Um, I I honestly can't get the picture of Michelle's Crocs in socks out of my head. So I I might ask her permission to see if we can. Oh, she's given us a little flash. Oh, look. (laughs) Oh, listeners, listeners, you have to head over to our YouTube channel so that you can see that. 
and not just hear me cackling about it. I was going to ask Michelle if she'd give me permission to share the photo that she sent me a few weeks ago, but she's she's done it for me. So that's the real deal, though. You see, that photo had socks. <laughs> I might I might share that on our Twitter account. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It's been lovely, lovely to have you on. It's been a pleasure, Kelly. Sorry it's taken me so long to agree. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.